Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast coming from you from somewhere god-awful. My name is Corey Hazelast and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. Thank you, Luke John Davis, for holding the fort while I finalised the Austin Salisbury local election campaign and then just sat in a darkened room with a funnel over my face drinking gin. Thankfully, listeners, normal service has been resumed on the podcast. And to prove it, here's our movers and shakers picks. listeners will remember steve and i pick the politicians that we think will move and indeed shape british politics every year we did this back in the start of 2022 and this is our first check-in on how those picks are going when we're almost halfway through the year uh leaders picks to start off with do you want to go first on this one steve you picked keir starmer the labor leader i therefore had to settle with boris johnson the prime minister who has moved and shaken the most, do you think? Well, it depends on what you define as being moved and shaken in this instance. It turns out the history and politics graduate has entered the discourse. <laughs> I know. I mean, in terms of actually having a good year so far, I mean, Starmer's not had a bad one. Uh, Johnson so far has had a right mayor of a, a mayor of a year. He's had to face a uh, you know a vote of no confidence in his leadership. Crisis after crisis, uh, failures to actually do anything meaningful in government. Uh, and on that kind of basis, I'd say Starmer's probably had a better year, but there is a bit of a question as to whether or not he's actually moved and shaken things himself, or if he's just the reciprocant of the fact that Johnson's screwing things up. So that's there's a bit of a, a question to be had there, but I think you're given where we are with everything, I'd say that Starmer probably does still come out up on top. Sometimes moving and shaking is just a matter of standing still and not having everything fall apart around you as Ella Johnson. Sometimes moving is about standing still. Steve Haynes' third rule of politics. Um, I don't disagree with that, though. So you've got... Let's go with Starmer first, then. In terms of policy wins, you had the government introduce a windfall tax, which was a big Labour policy offer, which they trumpeted for months, was a big part of Labour's local election campaign. Yeah. And that was then adopted by the government. So even if, I mean, you can quit about the politics of that, whether does anyone really then remember if it's Labour that introduced this policy or not. Actually, there is something that Keir Starmer has introduced, uh, well, which a government has introduced because Keir Starmer pushed for it. I'm actually struggling to think of a policy the government's introduced because Boris Johnson pushed for it. This kind of going ahead a little bit, but for, for probably the next one, because this will come up there, I suspect. You've got the Rwanda um, deportation policy. That's very much a part of uh, you know the government's strategy for mm, governance. It's, it's, it's uh, additional campaigning. Hasn't happened yet, though, because they couldn't do it properly and faces a legal challenge. True, true, true. But, but yeah, I mean... As a general rule, I think you're correct. I don't think there is a lot that the government's done 
I'm just trying to think if there has been any well, policy wins for them. Uh, well, uh, obviously, Johnson has a, a plan for people housing benefit to buy their own houses, which will definitely not cause a subprime mortgage crisis. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. He's being called that to bring back grammar schools. Yeah, well, that's not a sensible policy either. Definitely not going to happen. No, there's not a lot really, is there's, there? No, well, so uh, Johnson was elected to get Brexit done and level up the country, and he spent a lot of the year renegotiating the Brexit deal that he negotiated. Not another levelling up stuff is really happening. And his ma- personal misconduct not only led to a police investigation and a fine, a massive implosion of his personal ratings, but also led to a leadership challenge, and he's now a lame duck prime minister. It really is something when you think about it, that you could, that the prime minister of the British government isn't in the position to be the biggest mover and shaker in the country. Mm. That is because, like, if you th- if, even if you think back to pretty much any other like prime minister that we've had in the modern modern period, I could only think of maybe one, maybe two others that you could kind of describe in that situation, and that would be like Eden and Callaghan. And even then, I'm not sure about Callaghan. <laughs> well, no, because actually Callaghan had pretty good personal ratings as prime minister, yeah, and was still seen that uh, was still comfortably beating Thatcher in best PM ratings. There's the argument to say, had he gone from the, an election in October '78, might have won. And it, it's not like Callaghan had lost control of his government, really. No, but uh, I mean, Eden was obviously 100% just defined by uh, by Suez. But yeah, so. Like Johnson is in very unique company, uh, in in that he's uh, one of the a very small number of prime ministers who's just completely lost control of everything. I'd say. The flip side, of course, listeners, is we're recording this before the by-election results on Thursday. This so, is true. if you're on on the, on that Patreon we have now, uh, you will have heard this probably a couple of days before, but. If uh, the Conservatives do win one, or dare I say it, both by-elections on Thursday, you'll no doubt think that this is a, a pretty extraordinary conversation we're happening. On the other hand, I'm pretty sure we can say it. it's Starmark as of 7.25 on Monday evening. Yeah. It's it's Starmer. Uh That's one up for you, I believe. Cabinet Ministers, you pick Priti Patel. Yeah. I pick Rishi Sunak. And How are you feeling about Sunak these how- days? So I'm thinking that the curse of not enough champagne <laughs> maybe affected Rishi Sunak more than any other single politician. We are available Labour Party just uh, for uh, you know predictions to be made, <laughs> so that you can, <laughs> if you want to do a hit job on someone, let us know. You too can have your friends cursed by us wishing you good fortune <laughs> and success. Well, let's just recap Rishi Sunak's year, shall we? <laughs> oh, this is going to be good. I suppose we start the year with him being the front runner to be the next prime minister. No, that was that. That was a while back. I'm being a chancellor who seemed to have a lot of political capital to uh, to do things. Obviously, then we've had uh, his wife, Akshata Murthy, who owned shares in Infosys, which was a company which was continuing to operate in Russia despite the sanctions regime placed on the Putin regime. I forget why that sanctions regime was put in place, um, but I'll be a bit, that, to be fair, they have now closed there. Officers in Russia. So there was that. There was the fact that then his wife turned out to be uh, have non-dom status and wasn't paying tax on the UK. And I think that that has now 
now changed. Yes, they, um, they made an, an, an announcement on that front um, in the midst of this, of all of this scandal. And Rishi Sunak, of course, then was very, very angry that this had had leaked because, obviously, as Chancellor, any policy relating to tax and company regulation was not part of his jurisdiction at all. Obviously, not no. a, a purely personal matter. There's also the fact that. Turns out that he'd held a US green card until late last year, despite the fact that he was an MP and that holding a green card would mean he had to be a you had to commit to being a permanent US resident. Yep. He also got fined over Partygate. Yep. And in the spring statement responded to the cost of living crisis uh, with a spring statement that did uh, precisely nothing, actually less than nothing, and led to massively cratering approval ratings. On the flip side, actually. His personal ratings are not going to say they're bouncing back. The decline's been arrested, and actually, in terms of the Redfield and Wilton tracker this week, his personal ratings are the highest they have been in, in some months since the spring statement, which is maybe good for him if it, the, the vacancy for Prime Minister because Johnson was kept in place because apparently Conservative MPs are committed to losing the next election, do or die. Um, he may still be a factor in that next leadership race, and maybe then he, he has a bit of a chance. He also has put in a windfall tax, the one that Keir Starmer called for, because yep. Labour's winning the battle of ideas, according to Rachel Reeves, who we're going to discuss later in this episode. So that's Sunak, isn't it? It's been a hell of a hell of a six months. Of course, the, the problem for you, Steve, is that you picked Priti Patel, and whenever we discuss Priti Patel, there's always the, as you said at the start of the episode, it's about what do we mean by moving and shaking? And do you mean, usually I suppose you'd be, if ministers were going to move and shake, if ministers were going to move and shake, they would do so by an effortless command of their brief and by being an amazingly efficient minister to get their agenda through. You might think of Nye Bevan at the NHS. You might think of Harold Macmillan in housing, building 300,000 homes a year. You might think of Roy Jenkins at the Home Office. Roy Jenkins, of course, good friend of the podcast. And... You might, they're usually your, your go to, oh, Geoffrey Howe, of course, as Chancellor, you know, big reforming ones who, regardless of whether you agree with them or not, they knew what they wanted to do, they set out to achieve it. Yeah. Then you have the problem of how to evaluate the ministerial performance of Priti Patel. Yeah, because, so on one level, I feel like there's probably a good case to make that, especially in comparison to Sunak, um, that Patel has has moved and sh- shaken things more more so, um, simply because, as we've we've talked about, Sunak's had an absolute mare of a year. It's not gone well for him at all, um, and his big policy agenda, as you say, has been effectively been guided or has been in response to things that Labour have been pushing for. The immigration agenda that's been put forward by this government. You know, it's not effective. Patel doesn't know her brief particularly well. She's not very good at the job. But it's 100% her and 100% the Conservatives' agenda. And on that level, you know, the the whole Rwanda policy and, and, and everything, as horrific as it is, as, you know, incompetent as it is, is better shout of uh, being an, an example of a of a, a successful moving and shaking of British politics because it is one of the top-notch issues that is being discussed. But that doesn't mean that Patel's been good in her role, nor does it mean that she's actually a good 
Home Secretary in, in, in any definition. As you say, she's not she's not like any of those people that you describe where, regardless of their political allegiances and their ideologies, you could say they, they knew what they were doing, they had an aim, they were working towards it, they were masters of their brief. That That is not Patel. But I do feel that, again, partially just down to the fact that Sunak's just had such a bad year, Patel's probably in a stronger position to, 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 to lay claim. Both Rishi Sunak and Priti Patel are great metaphors for this government in so many ways. The fact that Boris Johnson appointed a Thatcherite Chancellor who doesn't want to spend money when he does mm-hmm. is shows his lack of people skills, his lack of judgment, his lack of actually having a coherent plan to achieve things. The fact that Priti Patel is only Home Secretary essentially uh, because there is no way she'd be Home Secretary in any other administration. Yeah. And the Conservatives are a very, very vulnerable politically on crime. I mean, you saw this in the 2017 election when May's record as Home Secretary came under massive question and the issue of police numbers it's not got better since then you've got a massive court backlog you've got recorded crime that's going up while prosecution are falling you've got horrifically low prosecution conviction rates for all sorts of really serious offenses in response to this the government periodically launches crime weeks now you know when these crime weeks are happening because it's almost certainly when these crimes are happening that various crimes and misdemeanors the prime minister or other tory mps have committed tend to then get released to the press Yep. On the other hand, as you say, in terms of the three things, so there's there are the, the plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda, which is an absolutely morally abhorrent policy. You've got the uh, decision recently to extradite Julian Assange to America, and you've got the sort of public order plans to crack down on peaceful protesters. They're on the Patel's watch. They're not really, I don't think, really what the public really want the government to do. The only reason they are happening is because they are cultural wedge issues which the government for some reason seems to think will excite its base operation dead meat if yeah. you will um and obviously the random asylum seeker that it's not just that because that is genuinely going to happen and the way that those asylum seekers are being treated is horrific so it's not just it's not just a dead cat it's not just doing enough for policy it, it i chose sunak and I had free range of the cabinet ministers because with the cost of living crisis, you assume the chancellor would have some play and some response. And we've had a windfall tax. We've had uh, a loan which goes to everyone uh, to, to, in terms of uh, paying back your energy bill, which goes to multiple people. If you've got two houses, you get two lots of the rebate. If you've got three houses, you get three lots. It's not really been thought through at all. Meanwhile, Nothing else is really happening on the economy. Nothing else is happening is living up, as we've talked yep. about at yep. length. So maybe it's just Patel at points, just because... They've both been crap, mm. but Patel was at least a case you can make on their own, on the government's own terms. While Sunak, I don't think there is a case. I mean, just as you could say, you know, you can move and shake by standing still, sometimes by wildly flailing about Actually, that can create the illusion of movement, even though you're in exactly the same place as before. Uh, Shadow Cabinet, you pick West Streeting. Yeah. I pick Rachel Reeves. By the, so the, the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, or to give him his proper title, the SAGE, 
this week made an intervention in, in this debate. I yes. think. Yes. Um, which presumably shows that actually West Streeting shouldn't only win this round, but it's actually one of the most powerful men in Britain. Apparently so, according to the Saj. Because the Saj, no, the Saj, <laughs> it's not just Saj, it's the Saj. The definite article exists. Because <laughs> West Streeting could single-handedly prevent all of the rail strikes. And bear in mind, we're recording this before the by-elections, we're recording it before the rail strikes. So if West Streeting has managed to call off the rail strikes, then obviously we'll have to amend this episode accordingly. But the Sage seems to think that West Streeting could end the rail strikes if only he could find it, it within himself to do so. It surely shows West Streeting has a huge amount of power and authority in there for winning this round, hands down. I mean, you'd think so, but it could also just be that uh, the Sage is an idiot. Um, and is just trying to uh, attack his uh, shadow <laughs> uh, on the Labour benches because he and uh, undermine it simply because Streeting has been doing a good job at well attacking and pointing out all the issues that the uh, the government has on on, on healthcare and the NHS. Um, that would be my cynical take on it, um, but uh, yeah, no, I I think Streeting has clearly had a good year. He's being bigged up and talked up about as a future Labour leader after after Starmer. Uh, after Starmer is is no longer uh, in charge. Presuming that's after two glorious terms of the Labour government. So not quite sure we're having this argument at the moment. I mean, <laughs> there's a genuine thing to discuss in regards to uh, the, the constant you know, anointing of the next chosen one of the Labour Party, but that's a separate discussion. Um, um, so, yeah, streeting is doing well. Like, I don't think there's much of a case to say he's having a bad year. Um, I think it really just boils down to, are there any major wins that you can point out to for for him? On that, I'm not sure. There's just been lots of Background competence, I think, is the best way to describe it. It's just like doing well on interviews, doing well on, on handling tricky questions, you know, and giving a good speech here and there, that that that, that kind of thing. Um, but I don't like there hasn't been that I can think of a victory against the government. But I think that's partly because the the government, despite itself, has a majority of about eighty. Yeah. And I think it's interesting listening back to the first episode within January, the extent to which we thought that maybe Labour votes may be required to pass further coronavirus legislation, massively overestimating the extent that the government might be bothered to try and do anything yeah. about them. thousands of deaths. I don't think you can point for anything just because essentially it's hard, I think, for the in this sort of situation, it's government backbenchers which have more sway. On the other hand, Rachel Reeves rainfall tax there is a positive i think both of them have had good solid years it's yeah. been a decent year for for labor who've taken advantage of the chaos which the government is in and um there, there isn't much more to say other than my pick rachel reeves had a policy which the conservatives adopted and west treating for all of his street cred and great interviews didn't so i win this round I would agree 100%. Um, I think they've both had very good years so far, but Reeves has, for lack of a better term, achieved something, while Streeting hasn't. Ooh, that's very harsh. Yes, you may, you may guess that I'm not quite bought into all of the uh, Streeting uh, bandwagon just yet. Ah, that crucial not enough champagne endorsement. No, no. Uh, 
only the the finest. Well, given the way that this normally goes, well, we can probably expect Streeton to be Prime Minister in the next, what, 30 minutes? Uh, has actually been asked to form a government of national unity yeah. <laughs> in the wake of the crippling strike action. Um, speaking of crippling strike action, <laughs> backbenchers picks. Let's go to them. Oh, this isn't going well for me. I picked Brexit hard man Steve Baker. Yep. You picked Richard, Richard Bergen. Bergen. I don't think there's much of a case for me to make here. I think it's got to be it's got to be Baker. Like whilst in in a number of ways, I don't necessarily think he's been as um, disruptive as he otherwise could have been in terms of like the policy agenda and things like that. That's largely just due to the fact that the government doesn't have a policy agenda um, and is just you know as you say flailing around wildly. But Baker has been one of the um, figures on the right of the part of the Conservative Party to break cover and say, "Now nah, we're done with this," and you know called for. Uh, Johnson to step down, voted against him at the uh, no confidence vote. That matters. That's mm. important. Um, Bergen has existed, and yeah, <laughs> I don't think he's really put his head up above the parapet in any meaningful way. I, I think Bergen, like a lot of the Labour left, is vocally challenging the injustices of the government, but is not making a lot of headway in the country or in the Labour Party at the moment. Yeah. Um, in terms of Steve Baker, and we, we've talked a lot about his organisational skills at length and about Johnson's yeah. no confidence. Interesting thing from last week about the government wanted to sort of change the vacancy bill uh, to recriminalise rough sleeping, mm. in which uh, Steve Baker, it turns out, is even more compassionate than the government and thinks that maybe we shouldn't be criminalising begging and rough sleeping, including Lee Anderson as well. So the, 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 Lee Anderson is criticising the government from the left on this. That's mental. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. It's Baker. It's just, hands down, it's Baker. Next one, then, is politician from neither Labour or the Conservatives. Yep. Hello, Mark, by the way. I picked Nicola Sturgeon, leader of Scotland, SNP. You picked Sir Ed Davey. Yes. Who may or may not, but almost certainly will, cause a massive political earthquake. Going to get out his little uh, uh, yellow sledgehammer to. Uh, well, it has to be bigger than the sledgehammer wall. because what it needs to be is after every Lib Dem by election, it needs to be a bigger wall and a bigger contraption. Yeah. And so eventually, there's just a field of Arizona with a wall in it and a, an H bomb just sort of. <laughs> I feel like we're recording this just that little bit too early for this one. Yes, it's the timing with this podcast. Is <laughs> yeah, before, isn't yeah it? it really is. Um, yeah, if the Tiverton and Honiton uh, by-election goes the Lib Dems way, which there is a very strong chance of that, uh, then without a doubt it goes to Davey, I, I, I would feel, because there's a, that is that would basically be two very strong conservative seats which would have fallen to the Lib Dems, um, which is, in terms of like influencing the national political picture, doesn't get much bigger than that. Um, Sturgeon, from my perspective, obviously First Minister of Scotland, still very influential, still, uh, and, and is absolutely uh, shaping the political uh, scene nationwide, um, in the UK by announcing a push for another independence referendum. But this is all happening in the backdrop of 
you know the failures of god knows how many what over a decade of like smp rule uh, in scotland and all the failures that come from just being in power that long um all of these different things uh are happening and it's it's almost as though she's been bounced into um pushing for the referendum not because they think it's a good idea, but because it's the only way that she can hold off challenges internally within her own party and within Scotland. Um, so in that sense, Sturgeon's a bit of a mixed bag, I, I, I'd say. Um, my gut instinct is they're probably both pretty pretty equal, mm-hmm. um, but I would probably... Again, if, if Tiverton and Honiton goes how I think it is going to go, you give it to Davey just about... Yeah, I think it depends how that independence push goes. I think the the commitment is to hold a referendum by the end of next year, isn't it? I think so, yes. Um, Which is going to be very exciting, especially after all the fascinating debates over the currency that happened in the previous referendum. On the other hand, the SNP won an 11th successive national victory in the elections in May, which, when you've been in government for that long, is impressive. I I, I mean, you're right in terms of a lot of the energy goes out of you when you've been in government for that long. But usually governments in power for a decade then don't win local elections. So it's just an impressive political machine there. Oh, yeah, it is It is very, very impressive. But it's, but again, it, it, in, a similar, in a similar vein to the national picture of the, for the UK, what are they doing with it? What is the, uh, the actual agenda there? And we've seen it now. It's now just, well, it's independence, referendum to electric boogaloo. I suppose a very successful initiative to try and run Scott Rail. Um, Indeed. Moving on then, commentator or publication, I pick the BBC, you pick talk radio. Yeah. I feel that's one of those mismatching uh, competitions in which <laughs> I, I, I'm, I don't even really have to... Like it's when you open the ballot boxes and you don't even have to do the initial sound. Yeah, you can you can just tell from looking at it. Yeah, one hundred (laughs) percent. Two things I thought we just we could just touch on, just mention as an aside, listeners. One of them is that with the issues the BBC have got with its license fee, with the government wanting to use the BBC as a culture war, because obviously what you do if you're a conservative conservative government is attack a country's institutions. That's what the word conservative means. That's obviously, what, yeah. that's what Edmund Burke was talking about doing, isn't it? Um, <laughs> reflections on the revolution in Twitter. <laughs> but it's interesting, I think a lot of big BBC talent is moving to global now, isn't it? Because So today, day we're recording this, don't even mention this, it's before the by-elections, Lewis Goodall, Newsnight's policy editor, from Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bournville School, I believe. Bournville, yeah, from in Northfield, not just any old part of Birmingham, South Birmingham. The best part? One no. of the best parts of Birmingham. Yeah, I mean, but, I, I, I'm inclined to agree, but then I, I'm born and raised here, so. There you go. In a different world, it could be you being on Newsnight and I'm doing this podcast with Lewis Goodall. But that's a bizarre, topsy turvy world. Given the, the universe we're in, though, he's going to join Global, join Emily Maitlis and John yeah. Sopel, who moved previously, Dino Zoros, who did the uh, Brexit cast. Some of you might have listened to it. It's not quite as good as ours, although they have better contacts than we do. Uh, so, I, a few years. <laughs> so, I think that's, that's kind of interesting. Um, the, and then with Talk Radio, you mentioned at the start of the year they were going to put out Talk TV yes. as well. Uh-huh. And Piers Morgan has a show. 
It's not gone well for them, really, has it? <laughs> no, it, it, one of my favourite headlines I found uh, this year while, while researching this is it's from the uh, local newspaper in Plymouth who pointed out that Piers Morgan's show now has less viewers than P- Plymouth Argyle's average attendance. <laughs> Fewer than 10,000. Amazing. Um, which, again, I, fe- I feel we had this conversation with GB News a couple of times yeah. when I picked Andrew Neil in one of the other less inspired well, inspired but ultimately wrong picks. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a number of them. And essentially, the main conclusion to be drawn appears to be that, well, A, people just really don't like Piers Morgan and don't just want to watch an hour of him talk. Yeah. B, although there's a few people on Twitter who get really, really riled at culture wars and all that kind of stuff, most normal people don't care. Yeah. Speaking of which, our wild cards... Tale of two Andrews. Yeah. I went for Andrew Pollard, who's the chair of the Joint Committee for Vaccinations and Immunisations. You went for Prince Andrew of the royal family. Yeah. I mean, my thought process was very much along the lines of, with the various scandals that were linked to Prince Andrew, that there... I I think at the time when we were making these choices, uh, Andrew was in court with um, his accuser, um, to uh, try and resolve the matter. Um, and my thought process was something could come out for all of that, uh, which would, you know, shake up things in British uh, politics a little bit. Um, this is amazing. I, I don't know how we still talk about it in, in pseudonyms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's not the BBC coverage of Suez in the yeah. 50s. <laughs> um, as it is, nothing nothing really came of it and agreement was reached between Prince Andrew's lawyers and, uh, uh, and essentially a load of hush money was paid out and everything was dropped. Oh, yes. That, that great euphemism, hush money. Yeah. Well, mm. uh, as a result of that, no moving and shaking has, has occurred. The Royal family has slowly tried to kind of bring him back into the fold a little bit here and there but then also it just so happens that he just happened to get covid right at the time of around the uh the platinum jubilee and so couldn't appear at anything publicly so yeah that's a very cynical view i mean i'm a very cynical person um yeah i don't think prince andrew has been particularly moving and shaking in this scenario at the start of the year, it was a good wildcard pick because yeah. it did have the potential to be a huge constitutional crisis. Yeah, and th- this is the thing with wildcards is they, they if they come off, oh boy, but uh, sometimes... They- I, I think on the other hand, as you say, it's sort of stymied, I think, by... Uh, I think the fact that there's a jubilee and you've got a... You, you've neither got a Conservative nor a Labour front bench that's going to make a lot of capital out yeah. at the moment. You also have a problem that... Republic, who are the campaign for a republic? Public, yeah, um, they're really not very good. No, they're they're genuinely some of the worst campaigners I think I've ever come across. And we run the AV referendum. <laughs> some people, I'm not even joking. <laughs> Just don't have to think about it. It was it was the way that they tried to say it wasn't a great thing. The pubs were going to be open. Uh, yeah, I, I just. Uh, no, um, so, it's so easy to just come up with a with, with a line on the platinum jubilee that doesn't make you sound like a complete and a toss pot. Just ignore the platinum jubilee. But anyway, but essentially, it hasn't led to a big constitutional crisis, uh, uh, which I suppose is good. 
Mm-hmm. And Andrew Pollard, again, it was the, I, 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 it was this conversation about booster shots. So whether or not that conversation becomes more relevant in the autumn, yeah. if we have a, a, a bigger rise of infections then. Uh, there's also uh, monkeypox, of course, saying that yeah. Andrew Pollard was in the news most recently, a couple of weeks ago, saying that we needed a significant public health response and as you can imagine, Steve, the government's taken that very seriously and have put lots of measures in place to make sure that if there is a problem, then Britain has the procedures in place to manage it. Are we being euphemistic again? And is that the euphemism for ignored it? I think that's me trying to say what I hope is true rather than what's actually going to happen. Yes, quite. Um, it's a bit of a no-score draw, I think, really. Yeah, like I don't at, at the moment. Like I, I suspect there's still time for Andrew Pollard to pull. Pull, uh, pull, mm. pull, a tri- pull, pull a hat trick out later on in the in the final uh, sections of the game. I think Andrew's on the bench, <laughs> quite literally, with the royal family in terms of public duties. And just think, listeners, you could have heard all of this wonderful analysis <laughs> a few days earlier if you were to become one of our supporters on Patreon. Wouldn't you, Steve? Yeah, you could uh, head it over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne, uh, where, but for a few pounds every month, as, as Corey says, you could get access to these sorts of episodes early. You get access to unique episodes that we put out um, just for our backers over there, uh, which are a little bit more um, informal, shall we say? Drunk. Yeah, the, yeah. Alcohol is sometimes consumed on those those episodes when we have a strict no alcohol rule on the main podcast, unless we're discussing, you know, he who should not be named and is no longer uh, president of the uh, of the United States. I don't think Philip Willis was ever U.S. president. <laughs> N.U.S. president. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so patreon.com slash not enough champagne. As we have mentioned once or twice, we don't know what the results of the by-elections are, but when we do know, I will recall something for the champagne that's on Patreon giving what I believe in the jargon are known as red hot takes. Mm-hmm. Our website is notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. James Cram designed our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram and Dave Depper composed our theme tune, Pucky Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy plotting. <laughs>